Well, if you go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. We are still still dealing with spiritual gifts. Today is part four, and we get to 1 Corinthians 13, which most people know it as the love chapter or the chapter of love. This is the one that people always read at weddings and things like that. You need to understand that this was written by Paul via inspiration of the Holy Spirit about spiritual gifts and about dealing with a sinful church that needed to be corrected and sometimes condemned for their view on things like spiritual gifts. So keep that in mind. I originally wasn't planning to teach all of these verses. I actually was not originally planning to teach these verses, but uh, Wabi got called away for some important lawyering thing, so he wasn't going to be able to do that. I, I have taught this before. The first time I, I taught it was either in 1998 or 1999. All right, how many of y'all were not born then? Yeah, all right. And Wabi, if I miss anything, feel free to jump in and correct, okay? I was a senior in high school, and I got to teach the Sunday p.m. service. And it was my second lesson ever. And I chose 1 Corinthians 13. When, when we read the rest of this, you might understand why Edwin's chuckling. Uh, I did not know what a lexicon was, which was a dictionary for the Bible. I had no idea what a commentary was. That's where smarter people than you have written down what they have studied. Um, but by God's grace, I did not say anything heretical. Uh, my neighbor came, who normally doesn't attend our church, and it was about love. And uh, he loved it so much that he went and asked for the recording, and they never thought to record a high school student's lesson. And so he went off on them, which was all the more reason why he needed that recording. Because <laughs> you cannot be unloving after looking at love. But I do not think I will be able to get through everything today, but I am going to try my best. Hopping in the way back machine just a little bit, if we talk about our last lesson in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, we saw that spiritual gifts demonstrate our unity in Christ. Verse 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Well, why is that verse so important? When I look at the mirror of who I am, all right, I get an understanding of who I am. And the giftedness that I have received is just that, something that I have received. And so if I'm going to brag or be puffed up about something that the Holy Spirit does through me, well, that's, that's not right, is it? It's not right. I need to understand that I am a part of the body of Christ. I am a, a toe or an ear or a nose hair, all right? Whatever it might be. Hopefully, I'm not an appendix because as Ezra points out, you don't really need those, okay? I, I'm just part of it. But when I understand and when you understand 
that we are Christ's body and individually members of it. That is helpful for us to have the right perspective. Spiritual gifts demonstrate God's sovereignty. We know that God supplies the gifts needed. It says in verse 28, God is appointed in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. We experience in the United States of America that our president can appoint Supreme Court justices. But it's not the same, is it? Because they can appoint someone and they don't get approved, right? God appoints in the church, there are three offices. He appointed apostles who were direct representatives of Jesus and had seen the risen Lord to carry on the message of the truth. He appointed them, all right? Then he appointed prophets who received direct revelation and they revealed that direct revelation. And then he also appointed teachers who would take the written word, that truth, and would then teach the text. You guys okay over there? All right, Dirk, you guys okay? Can you put your phone away, please? Thank you. All right. Would then teach the word of God. They would read it, they would explain it, and they would apply it. But then he also appointed the gifts. So for a time... Miracles were necessary. Healings were necessary. The gift of tongues were necessary. He also gave the gift of helps and administration. He also gives the gift of giving and the gift of mercy and on and on and on. All of these different gifts that God has given to us. And we are to take those gifts and we are to use them how God has appointed them to be used. At the church at Corinth, the church service was chaotic. It was chaotic and it was self-serving. So for our service, right, Tom and Seth sit down and they come up with a game plan. And we know when, what's that song at the beginning of the thing? Prelude, prologue, something. The piano and the organ people end at a certain time. And then the announcement dude gets up and does the announcement thing. And then Seth does the music and we all sing and then we have a special music. All right, and then we eventually have a scripture reading and a lesson and a prayer room invitation, all of that stuff, right? It's dot, 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 dot. Imagine if two people at the same time went up to do the special music and they had different songs. Awkward. Imagine if someone else came up to give the lesson during the lesson time and you got two people doing the lesson. That's what Corinth was. Hey, I have a word of the Lord. Oh, I have a word of the Lord. Oh, I got a word of the Lord. Hey, I've got something to say. I got something to say. Oh, I'm going to say it. And there is this abuse of the gifts. And even if you believe that the sign gifts are still in existence, show me a church that actually uses them how 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 uses them. Because it's very clear what it should be like. But he gives them. He also supplies the diversification needed. And we compare this to a chessboard, right? It says all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? And the answer is no. All do not have the gift of healings, do they? No. All do not speak with tongues, do they? No. All do not interpret, do they? No. A chess piece, you got some that go forward, some diagonal, some do the weird little L thing, all right? Hard to understand, all of those things, but they each, whoever made the crazy game of chess, right, maybe a little smarter than the checkers guy, um, pointed those pieces to do different things. 
in our church, God has brought the individual members of Countryside Bible Church here. And he supplied all the giftedness we need for the work he wants us to accomplish. It's amazing how he sovereignly works all of these things out for his glory. But spiritual gifts also demonstrate our sinfulness. And we looked at this on Wednesday. When you get to verse 31, it says, But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. Well, when we read that, that sounds contrary to what he just said. I mean, what are the greater gifts? So you think miracles are greater than the gift of helps? I know, you, you walked into it. You did a good job. The middle schoolers were like, oh, I'm not saying nothing. There are no greater gifts, right? They're all the same. So why would he be commanding them to desire the greater gifts? Okay, well, when you look at the Greek and you understand the language and there's people smarter than me and I take their advice on it, right? We already know that desire is the verb and we do not have a pronoun supplied for us, but the word supplies its own pronoun. Here I have inserted the pronoun. But you earnestly desire the greater gifts. See how it's different? He's, he's rebuking them here. And the word and could also be translated as but, but I will show you a still more excellent way. Look, church, you elevate these things. They should not be elevated. Should not be elevated. Now, I will say, uh, like John MacArthur mentions, I read this the other day, it's interesting that the two gifts mentioned in verse 28 that are not mentioned in 29 and 30 are helps in administration. Why? Because those are probably the ones least prized by the Corinthians, but clearly the ones for which they had the greatest need. There are also some that good and godly Christians that we love and we respect, brilliant men and women, that when they read verse uh, 31, they read it as such. When you get to verse 13 of chapter 13, but now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So when you combine these, the still more excellent way is love. It, it, it is. That's why you get to chapter 13. You're jealous and bickering and divisive. You need to love. Okay, so that is the more excellent way. But when you look at the greater gifts, they would read chapter 12, verse 31 and say, he's commanding them, you need to desire earnestly the greater gifts. What are the greater gifts? Faith, hope, love, right? Uh, it's not how I would read it, but just another possibility. And it's not a, it's not a deal breaker, guys. It's not a deal breaker. But what does our world know of love? Love to our world is an open door, right? Love is self-serving. I want to be in a relationship. Why? Because I want someone to be there for me. And I want someone to talk with me. And I want someone to hold my hand. And I want, and I want, and I want. And I want someone to provide for me. And I want someone to, to give me kids. And I want, and I want, and I want. Love to the world is self-serving. Love to the world is a feeling or an emotion. When in reality, love is a determined act of will 
which always results in determined acts of self-giving. And I'm not saying that Frozen is scriptural, but you see the whimsical girl in the Disney idea of love eventually gets corrected by the self-sacrifice of her sister. That really is what love is. And for us, not a fantasy, not a fairy tale, the cross is the ultimate act of love. While we were, what, sinners, while we were helpless, Christ died for us. That is love. And so in the context of spiritual gifts, just to put it all together, in case I don't make it all the way through this chapter, when you go to church, when you serve in this world, the gift that you have been given has been given to you by God. You do not question Him. You trust Him. You obey Him. You thank Him. And then you use that gift. And you use it in love because you love God and because you love other people. So you don't get jealous you don't get bitter. You don't get angry. Instead, you love. 1 John 4, 16, we have come to, uh, come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Do you understand that everyone that is not in Christ cannot love? There's no capacity to love how God defines love. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are leeches on the lives of others. But when we repent and believe in Christ, Titus 3, we're no longer hateful, hating one another. We are now loving one another because we have experienced his love. And it goes so far where Jesus says, you've heard it was said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. What? <laughs> That's tough. Yeah. You know what Christ did? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did it out of love. That's the love that we're talking about. That's the love that we're talking about. So when we come to our passage today, just a, a greater outline of chapter 13. We have love, the greater way. That's found in verses 1 through 3. Let me read that for you. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned... But do not have love, it profits me nothing. Profits me nothing. The second section, the rest of this chapter, is love. Why is love the greater way? Why is love the greater way? Well, first of all, verses 4 through 7, because of what love really is. And you know this one, right? You, you understand these. Love is patient, love is kind, on and on and on. That's why love is better than the other things. But also because of love's permanence. And this is the part that I do not wish to shortchange, but I might have to come back another time. Gifts, sign gifts in particular, can go away. But God's love 
and your ability to love because of him will never go away. Will never go away. So here we are, section one, love the greater way. You see that what they exalted, what they exalted in verses one through three. They exalted religious speech. Religious speech. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. To be clear, we know every single time tongues is used, the word or the action in the Bible, it is a literal, real, specific language. The tongues of the charismatic movement is gibberish. It's gibberish, right? So this is, look, whatever you want to believe this is, if you do this, the religiosity is what they exalted. They exalted religious significance. It says, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, they, they valued that. And you probably never watched this one, the Jonah Veggie Tales. He was a prophet, and they're all like, hey, this guy's a prophet, party, party, party. And I don't think that part was historically accurate. But, but you get the idea. You get the idea. It's like the pastor that gets elevated in today's society, right? Shouldn't be. Religious significance. Uh, religious sacrifice. Now, sacrifice is good, right? But sacrifice, just for the sake of making yourself feel better or look better, is not good. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned. This is the, the Mother Teresa thing, right? Uh, gave her life for the poor, but she did not love Jesus. She just did those things to be acknowledged and to make herself feel better. You see, all of us have a broken relationship with our Creator. And the only way to mend that relationship is to turn from your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you are at harmony with your Maker. If you are not at harmony with your Maker, then you try to do religious things. And you try to say religious things. And you try to do religious sacrifices to make up for that gap, to make yourself feel better. And that is what Corinth exalted. It's what they exalted. But what they needed, what they needed, verse 1, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. I can have all the religious speech in the world. But if it is not out of love and for love, it's one of those really annoying instruments. My team had a tournament at Denton Ryan High School yesterday. And when I walked in, I thought I was in the wrong place. There apparently was also some sort of orchestra competition. Who knew that they had orchestra competitions? And in the cafeteria was every sort of instrument that I cannot name and every one of them was warming up at the same time I wanted to ram my head into the wall it was terrible but I am sure once they got all warmed up tuned up and they played their song it was beautiful but where I was it was a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal if I have religious significance, but I do not have love, I am nothing. Nothing. That's what it is. 
If I sacrifice religiously, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Not a love for me, a love for God and a love for his people. It profits me nothing. You see, God values religious speech with love. And when you do something with love, you get to verse 4. It's patient, it's kind, it's not jealous, it does not brag, it's not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. You get it? That is true God-honoring speech that is done with love. He honors religious significance that has love. That has love. I have a purpose and a meaning and a service. And I come to church and I do it with love. Religious sacrifice. And Christians, are there, do you not sacrifice as you serve? You give up time, effort, energy, monies, blood, sweat, and tears. But you do it because you love God and because he loves you. And because you love other people. But if you don't have that, it, it, it profits me nothing. And that's what Mother Teresa was trying to do. She was trying to what? Earn her way to heaven. That's why people give and why people, you know, they think recycling is going to get them to heaven or whatever it is. They, they do these deeds because they think it's going to profit them. Profits you nothing. You must have the love of God and do things for the love of God. That's what they needed. What they became they became religiously odious. Noisy gong, clanging cymbal, screaming kid in the jungle gym. They became, I like this one, how I think I sing versus how I actually sing. Anyone seen the old Little Mermaid? I don't even, just delete the new Little Mermaid. The seagull who was like, I'm gonna serenade you. And he's like, wow, wow. It was terrible, right? I think, I'm doing great, but I'm not. In New Testament times, rites honoring the pagan deity, Sebele, Bacchus, and Dionysus, included speaking an ecstatic noise that were accompanied by smashing gongs, clanging cymbals, and blaring trumpets. Paul's hearers got his point. Unless it is done in love, ministering the gift of languages, or speaking in any other human or angelic way, amounts to no more than pagan rituals. It is only meaningless gibberish in a Christian guise. They became religiously insignificant and they became religiously poor. I am nothing. It profits me nothing. Profits me nothing. When we look at the greater way, I've read this in different lessons. This is one hopefully I'll be able to come back to. But this is what you should do, Christian. With your sibling, with your parents, with that annoying person sitting next to you, with your enemy. Some of you are like, yeah, amen. That, that was a joke, okay? That was a joke. This, this is it, guys. That's how you act with people. Do you know that Christ died for you and Christ rose again for you? The greatest commandments, love God, love people. And I just want to point out the does not rejoice in unrighteousness. That's a very important one in our today. Because we're supposed to be tolerant and accepting and all these things. We don't champion sin. We don't accept sin. That is not love. Well, if you loved me, then you'd understand me and you'd tolerate me and accept me. 
No, 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 no. Because I love you, I'm going to confront you speaking the truth in love. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Endures all things. That is what we are supposed to be. That is what we are supposed to do. So that is why love is the greater way. But secondly, we, we look at why love is the greater way. We see love's permanence. Love's permanence. And looking at verse 8. Looking at verse 8. Love never fails. All right, and we picked on the ESVers the other day. Still a good translation. But the ESV probably translate that word's failed better. It's ends. It's ends. It means to move with relative rapidity in a downward direction. Love never does that. Love never does that. Well, that's a weird statement. Why are we saying that? Because the greater gifts that they laud, they do this. But love doesn't. So you should elevate love. We see the permanence of love in verse 8. But we also see the impermanence, I think it's a word, of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. The impermanence of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. Three of the gifts that they would highly value. When it comes to the impermanence of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, we first of all see the reality. We see the reality. Verse 8, love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are a gift of tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. What are the, the gifts that he lists? You think this is accidental? Think he just picked them out of a hat? No. Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. The, the special special insight. But why those gifts? Those are the ones that they were elevating. Those are the ones that you got to have it. You got to do it. Those are the ones that they were willing to sacrifice others in order to be able to use or say they can use them. But it says they will be done away. That word means render inactive. Render inactive. It doesn't mean that God couldn't use prophecy, but he's saying that giving prophets to the church that gift will be inactive. Speaking in tongues as a gift, it will be rendered inactive. So prophecy, gift of prophecies, it'll be done away. It will be rendered inactive. Why do we not need the gift of prophecy right now? We have the full canon of Scripture. We have the canon of Scripture. We know what God wants and what God needs and what God thinks because it's right there. 
What about knowledge? If there's any knowledge, it will be done away. Extra special insight, especially during the apostolic age. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. You can think of it as a, as a mountain, all right? There's a short mountain and then there's a tall mountain behind it. When you look at that first mountain, you can't always tell that there's what? A valley in between. So you see, that's a giant mountain. And then when you get there, you realize, oh, there's a valley underneath it. Right now, Paul, in the middle of the apostolic age, is saying, look, Corinthian church, we only know part right now. There's a lot they don't know. There's a lot they don't understand. We know a lot about what's going to happen in the end, right? Praise the Lord. We have the book of Revelation. We win. <laughs> Satan loses. Yes. But there's a lot we still don't know, right? And we, we, we know what we know, but there's things that God just doesn't tell us. But those will be rendered inactive. But when it comes to the gift of tongues, it says it will cease. And this is like the running down of a battery. The running down of a battery. You remember the, do you ever see the Energizer Bunny ones and the, he just kept on going and the other guys are like, right? But the bunny keeps going. The tongues, that will happen to it. It will be in use for a time, but then it will run out and it will cease. You think now, I mean, you want to go to another country and, and share the gospel, you're going to be able to find a translator you're going to be able to find Google Translate or something like that, okay? Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed by those who heard, being the apostles and the prophets, and God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. That happened. That age happened. We got the truth. And so they will be rendered inactive and they will be running down of battery when it comes to the gift of tongues. John MacArthur says, the historians and the theologians of the early church unanimously maintained that tongues ceased to exist after the time of the apostles. Tongues was not even practiced again until the 17th century. Do you get that? Those who listened at the feet of the apostles, their churches did not continue with these gifts. It wasn't until the 17th century that these started to make a comeback. Hmm, interesting, right? We have the explanation. Paul's present state, for we what? Know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. Partial will be done away with. Now, here's a, here's a good question, okay? What is the perfect, okay? For some of you, your, your mom might say, this is, this is you. You're the perfect child. The perfect. The, the word means brought to its end, Wanting nothing necessary to completeness, consummate human integrity or virtue, or mature. 
So that's what the word means. And so we're looking at this and saying, you know, but when the mature comes, mm, but when the consummate human integrity comes, mm, ah, brought to its end, hmm, interesting. And again, there are good and godly Christians on both sides of this. So if you land on a different side than me, I still love you, okay? Some would say that this is sanctification. Look, when all of us become perfect, then those gifts will go away. Uh, Well, that's not happening. (laughs) Romans 7, we talk about that battle. That's not happening until glorification, right? Some would say this is the canon. So when I say the canon, the complete and verified word of God. So remember, Corinth has this letter, but other churches don't have this letter. And Ephesians had Ephesians, and it got passed around, right? But not all of them had that letter. But eventually, they collected all of these writings, and they verified these writings, and they all had the Bible, and they had the canon. So they didn't need prophecy anymore. And they didn't need knowledge anymore. They had the Bible. The, some would bring up, and oh, sorry, this closed on me. Um, Revelation 11, 3 let me make sure I got that one right. Yes, Revelation eleven three. That is the two witnesses. And what does it say the witnesses do? The witnesses, they prophesy. And so you're saying, well, it's being rendered inoperable, but those dudes are prophesying. All right? Well, that's clearly a special time and a designation. And it's not saying that God can't do those things, but he's just not gifting those on the regular, all right? Well, I tried. It didn't come back up, so we'll have to check. The other possibility for the perfect would be eternity in the new kingdom. It would be glorification, glorification. So when you get to heaven, you're going to know everything. And when you get to heaven, there is no prophecy anymore. There's no tongues when you get to heaven, right? Now, I could, I could totally see that one. I don't see the sanctification one. I would hold to the canon of the Scripture because I think that that's a big part of what Paul's trying to say, but it's not a, a hill to die on in that. We see, lastly, the illustrations, okay? The illustrations that Paul gives them. And the illustrations help us understand what he's getting at. Verse 11, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. You used to have that binky, didn't you? You used to have those uh, Pikachu pajamas, right? Come on, I know you still have them. You used to, to talk and do things. that are, ah, You're grown. You're men and women now. <laughs> the church used to function with prophecy and with tongues and with knowledge. Because it had to have them. But now the church has grown up and matured and has more and, and doesn't need that. The transition from a dim mirror to a face-to-face meeting. You know, in Corinth, they had mirrors, but they were metal. Some of you are like, I could never do my TikTok in a metal mirror. What's wrong with you people? For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face-to-face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. And I'm not not saying you should partake of these, but you know those dating apps that are out there. You think people put their real picture on there? Or the picture of what they look like in real time? And then someone goes on a date and they're like, what? Right? So we, we, we look in a dim mirror 
And we get kind of a picture, but we don't get the whole picture. But then you show up and you meet someone face to face and it's like, sorry, my mom's in the hospital. I got to go. Don't lie, people. We've progressed. We, we, we know more now and we'll know more in the future. And he gives the explanation of the illustrations in verse 12 as well. I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. And very well, Paul could be saying, look, when I get to heaven, I'm going to know everything. Or Paul could be saying, look, church, when you get the completed canon of scripture, you're going to know everything. But with this passage, what I want y'all to take away, and I want you to understand, whether this is ironclad documentation that the sign gifts are gone, or whether it's talking about when we get to heaven, we won't need these. That's not necessarily the whole point of the passage. The point of the passage is you should live your life and you should exercise your spiritual giftedness in the context of the church with what? Faith. I trust God who gave my church this gifted teacher, who gave me this gift. I trust God. And I should abide in faith, I should abide in hope, and I should abide in love. That's how I live my life. Even if I have questions that I might not understand, I'm going to abide in faith, hope, and love. Even if there's people that annoy me or pester me, faith, hope, love. Even if my, my family's going through a terrible time, faith, hope, love. But it says in the end what? The greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Why? Remember that love believes all things in verse 7 and it hopes all things and endures all things. It's the greatest because that's how you do the other ones. And so when you walk away, whether you're thinking about sign gifts or not, I want you to think about love in the service of the church, in the service of the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this wonderful passage. And even as we study it, we have a limited understanding. And we do look forward one day when we're in heaven and we know all things fully. But we are thankful for how much you have taught us, for how much we do know. And even, even what Peter and James and John and Paul taught and knew, we know so much more now. And we are thankful for your work and for entrusting us. May we carry on your work of service. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.